the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we recorded our show live in front of an audience in the splendid surroundings of the Witness History Museum in the GPO on Dublin's O'Connell Street. Our thanks to Juan Puss, who generally hosted us there, and as ever to our show sponsors, Irish Life. The subject of our discussion was the future of retail in the digital age. What is the future of bricks and mortar shopping? How big is online shopping in Ireland? And what are the challenges and opportunities for the industry players, big and small? On our top class panel were Morris Pratt, formerly the face of Quinsworth and Tesco Ireland, the former chief executive of wholesale drinks company CNC, and the current chairman of Unifar, the pharmacy chain, and also a director of Boyne Valley Foods and Donnelly's Fruit and Veg. We also had Lorraine Higgins, the deputy chief executive of Retail Excellence Ireland and a former Labour Party senator, Lorcan O'Connor, a director of Carroll's gift shop chain and chairman of Dublin Town, the business improvement organisation. And finally, David McRedmond, CEO of OnPost and formerly head of TV3. Now, to open, we began with a recent report by the Office of National Statistics in the UK, which showed that the retail sector there shed 62,000 jobs in a year. That's more than 1,000 jobs a week. And headcounts in shops fell by 2.2% last year. And it's partly blamed by the digital revolution. So I began by asking Lorraine Higgins of Retail Excellence Ireland what the Irish experience has been. Yeah, the Irish experience is quite similar in a, in a way, I suppose, when you look at the kind of money that's been spent online on an hourly basis uh, by Irish consumers. At the moment, 850,000 every single hour is spent. Uh, and of that, 70% is fulfilled by businesses operating outside of Ireland and predominantly in the UK. And you might ask yourself, why is that happening? Um, it's happening as a consequence of sterling devaluation in the first instance, uh, which we've seen you know, consistently decline ever since Brexit happened and the UK decided that they wanted to leave the European Union. But also we have a situation where um, there's a VAT differential between the two countries. Uh, and that's obviously hammering Irish retail. So, you know, we're, we're at 23% here. It's 20% in the UK. Uh, and then when you look at certain products, protein, for instance, attracts 23% fat down here and 0% in the UK. So that's driving a number of people online, obviously, to buy, you know, at a more competitive price in the UK in some instances. And that's proving very, very difficult for Irish retail. Um, but the crux of the issue comes down to the number of people who are not online. And it's quite astounding in the sense that there's 22% of Irish SMEs have no presence whatsoever online. And of the three quarters of the websites that are online, they can't process payments. So they can't take advantage of the spend that's throughout Europe. Uh, well, maybe we'll talk about your members for a minute because you've over 1,700 members throughout the country. How many of them are online? Um, that's an interesting question because uh, we only did a survey recently. There's only one third of our membership online. Uh, and that will be one of the reasons we'd be pushing quite strongly in this budget to see a situation where the digital trading online voucher will be increased, that there are better supports for retailers who want to export into other countries, just like there are supports for manufacturing and processing companies uh, who want to set up in, in other European and worldwide uh, countries as well. Maurice, you have some experience uh, of this, uh, both in your former life as a full-time executive, but now as a director uh, with a number of companies involved in, in the retail sector. Um, what, what do you make of all this uh, digital revolution? Well, I mean, it's here to stay. Um, it's, I mean, if you look at the impact that digital's had in the United States, I think it's instructive in terms of what will happen here in time. Uh, I mean, in effect, um, there's been an Armageddon in retail in America. Um, many of the large malls have closed. Um, simply because people have moved uh, to shopping much more online. So that is on its way here. Um, in the context of, I mean, the, the balancing, counterbalancing question, an issue for me would be, uh, is anybody making money online? Uh, some people are and some people aren't. I mean, I no longer am, but I was on the board of Brown Thomas. Um, and back to what Lorraine said, you know, when, when Britain had its vote, because the gas thing is they're not actually out of the European Union yet. They've only announced they're leaving. But within a week of that, I mean, sales online dropped in some major retailers here by a significant percentage, like double-digit percentage, because of the fact of the things you just said, Lorraine. Um, so they're factors to some extent outside our control. But this is a revolution that's unstoppable. I mean, we are living in a mobile digital age. Um, and if, you, you know, if, I, if I think about the industry that I used to work in, which was the food industry, uh, I mean, in the UK now, there's almost 10% of uh, food shopping done online. Um, and that is growing. I mean, it grew in the case of the major retailers by 25% last year. 
you'll see the same thing, I think, here. And that's driven by things we see in our own economy. We see, uh, we see people are more time poor again. We have a, I mean, it's taken me 25 minutes to walk here from, about, from a short distance because I couldn't get here in a car. So these issues are all part of what we're now experiencing. So it is, will drive more and more people in the, in the direction of online. But have people ever had loads of time? Well, uh, if you go back, I mean, people had a lot of time between 2008 and 2013 in Ireland. You know, mm. we didn't have the M50 like a car park again. You know, so things, in a sense... All right, but we want a booming economy, and the economy is doing very well. Yeah. We hear today VAT receipts up 8% year on year, uh, which is great. I mean, this is all good, isn't it? It's creating jobs. Uh, it's spreading prosperity throughout the country again. And, you know, the traffic... I hear what you're saying about the traffic yeah. jams, but it's a signal of good times ahead for the economy. Yeah, but, I mean, they're, they're just reality factors. But, I mean, the, the key move here is consumers. Mm. You know, the challenge for businesses is how do you stay ahead of... Our alongside consumers, because they're changing more rapidly than businesses are capable of doing. Um, you go back to Lorraine's point, I mean, we have poor quality broadband anyway in many parts of the country, so the concept of a lot of businesses getting online and actually being able to trade successfully is a big challenge for the next decade. Mm. Lorcan, you're in the front line with uh, Carol's uh, gift shops. Um, I, I just wonder if you can maybe outline to us uh, the experience uh, for Carol's over the last uh, number of years. I mean, I suppose a lot of us uh, think of Carol's in terms of tourism, it and is, a lot yeah, of tourists coming in to yeah. buy various uh, bits and bobs that have a green colour attached to them, yeah. um, but uh, I'm sure it's more than that. Yeah, no, um, obviously we started off in a completely different space. We were originally a toy retailer and, and news agents, and we progressed into the souvenirs and the gifts over the years. Obviously that's what we're known for now, but we're going 35 years at this stage, so at the moment now we've 17 stores and a very successful online store. Um, well, tell us about that. I mean, what, what percentage of your revenues will be online? It's, it, no, it's, it, 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 it doesn't. It, it'll be about 5%, which, is, which isn't bad. It is profitable, not hugely kind of thing. I was just talking to Lorraine beforehand. We had a, a, we're at an e-commerce conference with REI during the week there, and the amount of retailers who don't have a P&L for their online store, they just stick it in, it's part of the... And you say, well, what about the carriage? What about the packaging? What about the time evolved or whatever? What about the 15% that Amazon want or whatever? They don't take any of that into account. They just sell a product and they hope... So we have a very strict P&L with our e-commerce manager, and he has to perform to that. Also, we go to these digital marketing companies, and I'll say, give me a 1,000 quid, and, oh, look, I gave you a 1,000 pound worth of sales. And I said, well, you know, I'm losing a huge amount of money. So, again, we're very strict with, with any money we spend uh, with these marketing companies, and it has to produce at least three times what, what, what we pay them. But, again, most retailers don't do that. We're very lucky that our online retail... Uh, is, is extra, it's cream for us, okay? So if you come in, you shop one of our stores in Dublin, you take home a gift, we only send, I generally see a customer once. It's a very unique type of business. You know, mm. we didn't have the M50 like a car park again, you know, so things, in a sense... All right, but we want a booming economy, and the economy is doing very well. Yeah. We hear today VAT receipts up 8% year on year, uh, which is great. I mean, this is all good, isn't it? It's creating jobs, uh, it's spreading prosperity throughout the country again, and, you know, the traffic, I hear what you're saying about the traffic jams, but it's a signal of good times ahead for the economy. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're just reality factors. But I mean, the, the key move here is consumers. Mm. You know, the challenge for businesses is how do you stay ahead of or alongside consumers? Because they're changing more rapidly than businesses are capable of doing. Um, you go back to Lorraine's point, I mean, we have poor quality broadband anyway in many parts of the country. So the concept of a lot of businesses getting online and actually being able to trade successfully is a big challenge for the next decade. Mm. Lorcan, you're in the front line with uh, Carol's uh, gift shops. Um, I, I just wonder if you can maybe outline to us uh, the experience uh, for Carol's over the last uh, number of years. I mean, I suppose a lot of us think of Carol's in terms of tourism. It and is, a lot yeah, of tourists coming in to yeah. buy various uh, bits and bobs that have a green colour attached to them. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm sure it's more than that. Yeah, no, um, obviously we started off in a completely different space. We were originally a toy retailer and, and news agents, and we progressed into the souvenirs and the gifts over the years. And obviously that's what we're known for now, but we're going 35 years at this stage. So at the moment now we've 17 stores and a very successful online store. Well, tell us about that. I mean, what, what percentage of your revenues will be online? It's, it, no, it's, it, 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 it doesn't. It, it'll be about 5%, which, is, which isn't bad. It is profitable, not hugely kind of thing. I was just talking to Lorraine beforehand. We, had a, a, we were at an e-commerce conference with REI during the week there, and the amount of retailers who don't have a P&L for their online store, they just stick it in, it's part of the... And you say, well, what about the carriage? What about the packaging? What about the time evolved or whatever? What about the 15% that Amazon want or whatever? They don't take any of that into account. They just sell a product and they hope... 
So we have a very strict P&L with our e-commerce manager, and he has to perform to that. Also, we go to these digital marketing companies, and I'll say, give me a thousand quid, and oh, look, I gave you a thousand pound worth of sales, and I said, well, you know, I'm losing a huge amount of money. So again, we're very strict with, with any money we spend uh, with these marketing companies, and has to produce at least three times what, what, what we pay them. But again, most retailers don't do that. We're very lucky that our online retail uh, is, is extra, it's cream for us, okay? So if you come in, you shop one of our stores in Dublin, you take home a gift, we only send, I generally see a customer once. It's a very unique type of business. We don't have a lot of customer loyalty from that point. So if you visit, you buy something, you go home. So selling online to them when they get home is a huge opportunity for us. And it's not a choice of I'll shop online or I'll shop on one of your shops. For us, it's, it's, it's extra business kind of. And how much of the business is domestic and how much is tourism? Uh, it's probably about 90% um, tourism. We are going more in trying more for a domestic market. And Christmas is normally the biggest, busiest time for most retailers. For us, it's our quietest time. Um, so, but this Christmas, we are doing a promotional campaign and we have adverts and leaflets promoting Irish products. And again, a lot of people go by our stores and they say, it's not for me, it's for tourism. And that's fine because that's the market we're going after. But people are pleasantly surprised when they go in. We've just refurbished our, our biggest store on Westmore Street there. And, you know, we've Carrick Dunn, we've Tipperary Crystal, we've Newbridge. We've all the Irish brand names. People wouldn't associate with us again. People would generally think it's key rings, magnets, like that. But I think if you go in and have a look, you'll be pleasantly surprised how, how the business has changed over the years. Right. David, are you a big shopper in Carol's gift stores? Um, uh, no, uh, because I live here and I think it is mainly tourists uh, who use it. But I will certainly go in now that you've mentioned uh, the change in Westmoreland Street. In fact, in, in a previous life, I had about 500 uh, gift stores in lobby shops throughout the United States and, uh, and the Caribbean. So it's, it's a market I know a little of. Um, now, in your role with OnPost, you're yeah. metaphorically speaking, you're trying to ride two horses here, aren't you? Because on, on the one hand, you're in the retail space. I mean, if you come into yeah. the GPO, you can buy stamps and a whole range of financial services. Uh, but on the other hand, you're hoping that the future OnPost will be more and more in online parcel Absolutely. delivery. Absolutely. Look, you know, first of all, OnPost is, is here as a service. We're, we're, we're a service for, for consumers. We're a service for, for the people of Ireland. And... Um, the whole nature of postal services is changing so dramatically in that uh, email substitution obviously means mail volumes are declining, which has put massive pressure on the company. Um, but then you've got this extraordinary phenomenon for, of a much smaller number than the, the mail number, but the parcels number, also growing exponentially because of e-commerce. And Unpost is the engine of e-commerce in Ireland. Mm. Um, let's put some numbers on, on that, David. How many parcels did you deliver, let's say, last year, or maybe year to date? Well, I don't know. I don't know the exact number, but I know that the the value of parcels, about 120 million, will be the value of uh, for us of delivering those parcels. Um, most of what we're doing is most of the parcels uh, business is driven by people like Boohoo.com or Amazon or whoever, and they tend to be the customers. Um, uh, at one end and at the other end, we, we have our retail customers who, who, who are buying off them. So, you know, we're the people that get it from A to B, and, and we do that. And, and, you know, we've just had breakthrough labour agreements, so we now deliver on Saturdays, we deliver late in the evening. And, and in many ways, it transforms what Unpost does, because just when mail is shrinking, people are saying, well, do you still need to deliver to a house every day? Actually, parcels you need to deliver several times every day. So that's why we have all these new products, Address Pal, Return Pal, all of that. Now, that's opening the whole Irish market to the whole world. It's bringing goods in, which is obviously um, not what retailers here want to hear. But at the same time, we also have a... Um, at the moment, we've just launched a project. It's been going for a few months called Local.ie, and we've got... Uh, in, we've got her in Bandon and Mullingar and in Nace. And the aim of that is to say that we will deliver within a local area for all the local retailers. And we set up local.ie, so you can go to nacelocal.ie, you can look at all the local retailers, and we'll, we'll deliver within a 15, 20-mile radius uh, or possibly further. Um, so it becomes a really effective way for those retailers to have a low-cost uh, presence online and 
to be able to have all of the logistics and delivery mechanisms. So, you know, we have to be agnostic. We're there, we're there for what people want. And it's very important to us that people in Bandon have the same access to product as people in Boston or people in Birmingham. And that's what we do. And, and that's why we've transformed the parcel service in terms of, of what we're doing. And it's now, I think, one of the best parcel services anywhere. One of the interesting things, actually, and it's a real challenge for retailers going online, is 40% of parcels are returned. 40% of, of what's ordered online is returned. People get in, it's the wrong size, it's the wrong color and whatever. And that's why we set up this returns pal. So you can actually call up, we'll come and collect from you and return it. Now that's great for us because it's 40% extra business. It hugely increases that market. But if we can get that right for the retailer, and this is how retailing has to become such a different business, um, then that can help the retailer as well. So, so it's a, retailing has gone through. I mean, I started off as a retailer on the shop floor as a bookseller in Waterstones and selling books. We had no EPOS. We had no electronic point of sale. We had no computers. You had to remember the books. You had to know who they were. You, you actually had to have read some of them. Um, it's, it's such a different world now. So the revolution we're talking about is, is happening right in front of us. But for Unpust, we're there for the customers um, as well as the retailers. Lorcan, you want to come in? We're going to have to share a microphone, I think, because I think yours is a bit cracked. So just bear with me. Um, I suppose I just wanted to echo that because uh, I suppose we've started off, we've had a number of different courier companies um, over the years, and by far our biggest um, courier company now is on post. Um, and it's, I've seen over the last couple of years how efficient the service has become and how competitive it's actually become. Um, and I think that's a great thing because I'm the son of a former postman, so or he's, <laughs> he's retired now. But I, the service that, that's being offered to us is, is, is excellent. So I think people should go out there and uh, if... You know, it's great all the big international courier companies, but the service from Unpost and the pricing is excellent at the moment. Uh, Morris Pratt, you might just tell us a little bit about the Brown Thomas uh, experience, uh, if you can, because they were very careful about how they approached the online market. They thought about it for a long time, and and then they launched it. And of course, a large part of uh, of their online strategy is around uh, click and collect. So you you order online, then you go into a Brown Thomas store uh, and you collect it. Maybe some people tried them on there just to make sure you know they fit or whatever. I don't know. Uh, how successful has that been for Brown Thomas? It's been, uh, it has been very successful. I mean, just before, while I think about it, but echoing something that Lorcan said, uh, you know, with fashion, about 45% of fashion items get returned. So, I mean, I'll go back to the point I made earlier. It's very hard to get a justified P&L unless you actually know uh, what the net uh, profitability from an item you sell is. And that is a big challenge. Uh, so scale is crucial uh, here. And one of the big challenges in Ireland is we don't have scale um, in lots of areas. Um, so for BTs, BTs has the benefit of being part of an international luxury goods retail chain, which includes Selfridges, uh, Behind Corp in Holland, and Holt Renfrew in Canada. So it has the opportunity to draw on the technological capability uh, beyond just the, the BT store itself, uh, which, is, which is helpful. Um, and obviously, they're also able to monitor very carefully what's happening to international pricing. Uh, and that helps too, because, I mean, as we said at the outset, if, you, if you're in an economy where you have a currency differential and a currency drops by 10%, consumers are pretty sharp about both, both, both voting with their click as well as letting you know. The click and collect part has been very successful for BTs, and I think that is part of a transformation which we'll see in luxury goods retail in the coming years. I think you'll find, for instance, in shopping malls of the future, there'll be at least 50% of the mall will be entertainment and food, and only 50% will be pure selling. And within that pure selling, a lot of it is actually going to be showrooms for luxury goods retailers, where people will come, try on the goods, and go home and buy it online. Um, and or in the case of BTs, if they want to come into town, they will click and collect. And there are surveys, aren't there, showing us that 50% of what goes on in shops is just simply browsing yeah. to, look at, uh, to look at items. I suppose it would have been browsing before, yeah. but now people are browsing and they're going yeah. home and then they're searching out the best value online. Um, Lorraine, maybe just to pick up on a point that Morris uh, made there about uh, malls. He calls them malls, we call them shopping centres. Um, that in future, 50% <laughs> uh, will be entertainment and, and food, and 50% will, will be actually uh, retail, which would be a change, let's say, 
say, from the traditional mix. But what about our actual towns and villages around the country? Because uh, they've mostly traditionally been, you know, your butcher, your baker, uh, the off-license, the news agent, and so forth. What's going to happen to those towns and villages? Because entertainment and food just doesn't come as easily to those. And that's a, that's a very fair point. Um, and something I see, you know, there's a lot of talk about rural regeneration, town centre renewal and revival, and it's a very important piece. But at the end of the day, if the offer isn't right in a town um, or if an experience isn't being created in a town, people won't come. You could actually pay them to come into your shop and they won't come in because if you don't have the products that they want. So like, there's two dimensions to it. Number one, the offer has to be right. Um, and secondly, you have to be creating an experience. And that can be through you know, events in your town centre or it can be through, I suppose, embracing digital technology and the experience in store. And Morris uh, quite rightly alluded there to the fact that you know, there will be a situation where people will actually just come in, uh, try on an item and go off and buy it online. And that will suit probably the bigger retailers down the track because it'll help drive efficiencies in their businesses. So instead of having, you know, huge stock on their floor um, and they're not being able to give a variety of product uh, to... Uh, to basically their customers, they'd be able to have uh, a warehouse in a cheaper end of Ireland, for instance, and that might, may help with um, with employment in that area. So retail is changing from so many different perspectives. It's all about midweek convenience now, um, and that's where click and collect comes into it, or people buying online, and it's about weekend experience for people. And uh, Morris, maybe just in terms of the towns and villages around the country, it's not just about uh, the threat from online, is it? It's also the threat from big box retailers like Lidl, Aldi, Tesco, Ikea, whatever it might be. I moved into Ternure a couple of years ago, and since then the two butchers are gone, the newsagent's gone, uh, the off-license is gone, a couple of other places have uh, disappeared. And you know, I would put it down to the fact that Lidl, Aldi, Tesco have all come in in the last few years, uh, fine big shops, you know, they're fine retailers, no question about that. They've all got car parking as well, whereas parking in the village is a little bit uh, difficult. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that story's been replicated right across the country. What's the future? Well, uh, I mean, the Little and Aldi revolution is well known. We, in my time in retail, we call them LRDs, which was limited range discounters. Uh, so it's interesting to hear you call them big box retailers. We wouldn't have seen Little and Aldi as big box, but their, their, their growth is explosive. And it's very interesting to watch how they developed in Ireland. When they came here first, they primarily were seen as a store where people who were econ economically challenged shopped, if I be, be politically correct. Nowadays, you know, it's, it's, it's fashionable to shop in stores like that. And they have adapted their model in Ireland very much to something that suits the Irish psyche. I used to always talk about the Irish as, 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 in terms of shopping, and I mean this in a very positive way, we're hucksters. We actually like to feel stuff, you know, whether it's squeeze the bread or the orange, that's the way we are. And they recognised that pretty quickly and they adapted their Irish model to suit that. As it has developed, you know, consumers have wanted more from them because they have a limited range. But to your point, I wouldn't be at all... Um, proclaiming the death of small retail. Quite the opposite. If you look at, for instance, what Dunn stores are in the process of doing, right? Uh, what they've recognised is, is, is a move by consumers who want fresher product, want healthier product. They want, it, they want it capable of being offered to them now. So they'll want in the, now and in the future... If they want lunch, they will actually send an order through a mobile and they'll be able to pick it up in a big box, as you might call it, a big box retailer. That's, uh, and if you look at what Dunn's have done by buying brands as part of the offer. The thing I, I would say is absolutely a revolution in retail is we used to regard in food retail the perimeter of the shop as effectively the, the sort of the selling piece. It was fresh and so on. If you now look at, you look at Cornell's Court, you look at Stevens Green, just taking two Dunn stores examples, the centre of the shop is now hollowed out and they have reduced the ambient food space by 30% and it's given to fresh. And that is a reflection of what consumers want. The crucial thing about this is, and whether it's Lidl or Aldi or a big box retailer, you need to understand what your consumers want and then find a way of delivering it to them. So, you know, the, the, the market, the, the middle of the market is what gets hollowed out. So people at the top end are doing really well and people would say Dunn's have moved up market. Um, in their offering, um, and, the, and they clearly have, both on the, I think, on the, uh, the, the, the non-food side as well as on the food side. Um, so, you know, th that they've recognised their, their opportunity in the market, but they also recognise people want artisan, um, you know, so that they've got, uh, they want coffee, you know, they want, to be, they want more dwell time, um, and that's what they're doing. And that is a clearly is a successful model that's working for them. Now, that's expensive. So it's difficult if you're an individual retailer in a, in a town. But having said that, look at the proliferation of, of markets in places like Stillorgan, Kiltiernan. Many towns and villages you go into around Ireland now um, at the weekend have got a, a, a local farmer's market. And, and they're doing well. So 
that hasn't quite fully evolved yet, but I think it's evolving. But I would not say it's the death knell for small retail. I actually think we want more authenticity um, increasingly, and I think we, we, people will find a way to deliver that. But Lorraine, are you confident that a lot of the stores that have been boarded up over the last number of years, you know, primarily, I suppose, because of the recession, but also because of online and, and the impact there, are you confident that they can be reopened in another guise to re-energise some of these towns and villages around Ireland? Well, I suppose that's part of the challenge. We have to try and see that conditions are created mm -hmm. that people can be confident Is there anything going the government back can do? What would you like to see well, the government do? You know, you can see in some uh, county councils and city councils that there are rates breaks, which are obviously obviously a very, very important part. Um, when retailers start up in business, the last thing they want, you know, is a knock on the door and they're looking for the rates for the year up front. So that's certainly very, very helpful. Um, ensuring that their renewal schemes are aligned in terms of, you know, that they don't allow county councils overlook the fact that there's some boarded up buildings where some retailers, big retailers, are strategically trying to avoid any discount or taking their old store. Uh, and that has hammered a lot of rural Ireland. There were about upwards of 30 premises, I think, throughout the country who were affected um, in, the, in such a way. And obviously that has a knock-on effect in terms of footfall, in terms of creating a, a positive environment in a town centre. So I think government needs to look very, very careful at their town renewal strategy to make sure that, you know, that there can be the survival of small independent retailers. Um, and again, you know, the digital trading online voucher is another way, you know, if they can increase the investment in that. Uh, providing a €2,500 grant is really not satisfactory when it costs 10,000 to have a fully functioning e-commerce website uh, and Morris mentioned the broadband issue as well throughout the country because at the end of the day by 2021 84% of Irish consumers are going to shop online frequently so we need to be on the upward curve now to take advantage of that. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. David, obviously you're hoping that OnPlus is going to make great inroads into this uh, boom in online shopping. What about the security issue? Because we've seen in uh, recent times a lot of hacking incidents going on, um, you know, in the financial world and so forth, but also in the political sphere. So clearly hacking is, you know, it's, it's pretty sophisticated out there. And somebody can hack your system if they really set their mind to it, uh, your system can be hacked. How's OnPlus going to do with that? To give Gosh. reassurance to Funny consumers. enough, we just uh, had, a, had a big presentation on our board and cyber security and what we're doing, and, and I find it hard enough to get into our system, so I'm not sure how anybody else can. Um, it is, uh, the reality is, actually, the funny thing in security is, is also the physical thing, is, which is why we deliver to people's homes. Um, or we deliver to a post office, which are secure places to be able to get goods. And goods are now valuable, and as more comes online, that becomes an issue. Um, in terms of systems, the investment in IT is just such a massive cost. You've seen, I think I read today about the new chief executive of Bank of Ireland, you know, questioning their IT investment, or, well, maybe not questioning, but this will be one of the first things she'll have to look at. And, you know, it is a massive, massive cost, and it's a massive cost for Unpust, but it is a cost of, of doing business. I just, just take a one or two points that have been said here, which I, you know, I can see that there is more hope in retail than... than uh, Retailers are shopkeepers. Shopkeepers have to be a bit optimistic, but, but, but tend towards pessimism quite often as well. Likewise, postmasters, um, post offices. Um, I, I think Dunn's is a great example. I'm mean, going to Dunn's stores in Corn's Court, it's like going to France. You know, it is, it is extraordinary. It is quite extraordinary retailing, and anybody who hasn't been there should take a look at it. Um, a very interesting one is my old business, Waterstones. I saw in the UK the other day, I just saw some numbers for Waterstones, and they're growing. They are growing book sales. And books, remember, were the first to go through. I opened a bookstore in the States um, the same year that Amazon opened. And uh, you know that industry went through the digital revolution before any other industry. It was the basis of Amazon. And for physical bookstores to be increasing sales, something like Waterstones, I think what it says to you, whether it's Waterstones, whether it's done stores, whether it's back to Mars' idea of the mall um, being a place for entertainment, it, retailing really has to be excellent. It has to be so much better 
than the experience that you can get online to get people to come and touch and feel and do all of that. That really matters. The one other thing I'd say is if you look in Ireland, there's one other area of retailing that's growing very fast, not quite as fast as the discounters, but that's convenience retailing. And Ireland is a real leader in convenience retailing, um, whether it's spars or centres or Mesa or whoever it is. And for us in Ompost, it's very important for us. That's why we want to co-locate more of the post offices. That's why we want to be located next to them or in them. Because that way, you just do very simple things. You put a post office in, in a spar, it increases the footfall by 15% to the spar. But you know what? It also gets people visiting post offices every day. And if we're going to be good at what we're good at, if you've got somebody five yards away from your store, you ought to be able to get them in. And we just simply need to make sure we create the great product and deliver great product. And for us, that's largely around financial services, but also around parcels and mail services and things like I that. I suppose I should ask you, uh, David, there's been a lot of commentary, obviously, in recent months about the future of the post office in Ireland, and many might shut. Can you give us any indication of... Well, I've added up, adding up the headlines. I think I've shut about 24,000 by now, <laughs> post offices. Um, Look, I, I, I think the reality is, um, a bit like any retailer, and I, I find it amazing, it's always the folks in the post office, but again, if, if just when I look where I live in, in Glenageary, you know, I know of two spars that have closed and, another, and one becomes a centre and something else opens. That's what retailers do. Because the reality is, if you've got franchises and you've got distribution, if you close one, if, you, if a post office closes, 75% of the business transfers to the next one, if it's reasonably near. Um, so you can get larger post offices, they consolidate, and, and that can work very well. You've got some postmasters who have been at this for 50, 60 years. They're tired and, and, and you know, populations move, and so it's inevitable some will close. But our aim is the exact opposite to closing them. We're guaranteeing that every community in Ireland of over 500 people will have a post office. That means we have to open 30 or 40 post offices, because we know 30 or 40, I think it's about 37 places, we know that don't have post offices and we'll open them. But inevitably, you're going to get consolidation and a significant number will close. We, we won't be closed, the postmaster will want to go, but that will happen over the next few years. More importantly for us is to keep the community revitalised and are to revitalise the community. And if we can be located next to or in a spar, and if next to that can be some other retailer, um, or a farmer's market, or something, so you get this cluster effect of retailing. Ireland's a very difficult country to retail because we've such a distributed population. But, you know, if in France you drive from a village, and then you see no houses for the next 10 miles until you come to the next village. In Ireland, we're all over the place. Um, if we can consolidate um, our retailing, I think that will hugely help yeah. everybody. Lorcan, you're a retailer, and all of the big shopping centres in Dublin certainly have changed hands, or are about to change hands over the last uh, couple of years. I can think of Dundrum, Liffey Valley, Blanchardstown, and one of the selling points, if you like, uh, when it was being, when these properties were being marketed was that there was room for expansion. Uh, and We have the Square in Talla, uh, which was one of the largest early uh, big shopping centres in Dublin to come on stream. And again, one of the selling points uh, by the estate agents is that there is massive room for expansion here. But I just wonder, given everything we've heard here now, given the rise of online and so forth, um, do we need these big shopping centres to get yet bigger? I think more and more retailers are looking for a bigger and bigger footplate. And the problem with Dublin is it's Georgian City and most of the shop sizes are far too small. Even ourselves trying to even get three or 4,000 square feet becomes a huge problem. Um, and it's very difficult for retailers to operate. At, you know, your overhead is a certain degree is fixed, other than, I suppose, your rent and your rates. You know, staffing in a small store is nearly as, as much as it is in a small store. So if we have a 900 square feet shop, like we still need a security guard, still need two cashiers, still need... So you, can't, you can only operate at a certain level. So you definitely need bigger footplates. I mean, we're sitting here beside... We've, we've obviously the site beside us with was chartered lands and whatever. Um, and again... Most of that stuff is let on sh on short-term basis, but there is plenty of people to take those sites at the moment that people want to get in there. But I think going forward for the main street and the, and even more street, you know, needs to be redeveloped. It needs to be brought on. We need better quality retailers. 
Um, we have a huge amount to offer within Dublin Town, this business improvement district that we're in. Um, you talked about the market, like the wholesale fruit market, uh, just at uh, the bottom of Capel Street there. Uh, that's just been stuck with you know ongoing litigation between the wholesalers and Dublin City Council. Um, that should have been open four or five years ago, kind of thing. And that would be a huge catalyst for that whole area to redevelop that whole wholesale market area. But all the buildings around it, like go oh, like retail excellence during the borough market in London a couple of weeks ago there. And that's an amazing evening uh, entertainment venue. And we're missing a huge amount of uh, entertainment evening product, particularly on the north side. If you go out, come into Henry Street, we'll walk out here tonight. If we turn onto Henry Street, all the shutters are down, it's all closed down. Grafton Street, you leave, you have restaurants, you have bars, you've, you know, you've, you've got, you've people walking up and down, there's a lot of activity. Henry Street would be completely empty. Across the road, we've Cleary's empty. Um, again, there's no sign of that opening any day soon. Um, and again, that's a huge loss to this street, uh, like we're trading here, but that, that footfall that we've lost there, but also we've lost a footfall on North Earl Street as well, from people on that side of it. So. We, we definitely, I think we definitely need bigger footplates for retailers because they need that to, to operate. Uh, you can't operate in Georgian buildings. It's just impossible to try and make money kind of thing. So we need to look at expansion though. And I don't want to get bogged down in the traffic issue, uh, Lorcan, but you know, given that you are a city centre retailer, obviously a lot of traffic uh, management changes have taken place recently and there's the plans for the uh, plaza in front of Trinity College, which is going to close it off to car traffic. So it's going to make it difficult for people to get north and south uh, in cars. And we're told by retailers that you know people like to come into town in their cars to uh, do their shopping, etc. Where do you guys stand at? Um, well, well, there's there's two issues here. I suppose people talk about traffic coming into town. What you generally tend to talk about is commuter traffic. So that's rush air in the morning, rush air in the evening, going home. And I suppose what we want to encourage is people who are coming in to shop, uh, coming in to have a meal, maybe in the evening, go to the cinema. And these are off-peak uh, journeys, so they don't create the congestion that people see in the morning. I think there's ten thousand parking spaces in Dublin. Um, for, for, for people to pay, and it's, it's generally people who go in and stay one or two hours. They don't go and park there all day while they go to work. The local government, central government, have about 10,000 free spaces within Dublin, which are used for commuter spaces. So on one hand, you're being told that, no, we need to discourage people coming in and driving into work, but we've all these free spaces. And then for the people who want to commute, come in, commute, go for eat, go for something to, to drink or whatever in the evening, we're trying to, going to penalise them or we're going to try and stop them. Some of the things, if, if you look at the, the, um, the, the latest changes to the keys, which is to facilitate the Lewis Cross City kind of thing, that actually seems to have worked out fairly okay. Now, and I live in, in West, uh, I live in Clare, so I come in that way every day, and my traffic journey hasn't uh, increased. It hasn't got any worse. Um, so I, I think there was a little bit of a scaremongering. I think people have started to maybe use public transport a bit better, go, go different, don't come down the keys if you want to go north side, you, you go around the North Circular Road or you go around the South Circular Road, and people are coming into the middle of town who never wanted to come into town or didn't need to come into town. Lewis Cross City is going to be great. When it's been really, really difficult for retailers. Like four years of the town dug up completely, even with tourism, tourists saying, I went to Dublin, it was like being in the middle of a building site. But now, in December, we will have it up and running. We'll have people going, be able to go on north side. Uh, Richard Guiney, who's the CEO of Dublin Town, is, is, is actively promoting the idea that within the central business area that we maybe have, try and have it free so that if you get on in Stephen's Green, you can come to a concert for free or back the other way to try and encourage people to park up their cars and use, use the Lewis back and forward. But I, that, that could be a huge... I think the benefit from most of the researchers will actually be on the north side, that people from the south side who don't have a pennies over in, on that side, don't have a Forever 21... Uh, Selfridges and Arnott's now, whatever. So those we'll get all those people over here on the north side that generally didn't jump. They would go over, park in the south side and stay there. So, Morris, did you want to come in there? I know Brown Thomas uh, weren't so keen on some of those traffic management changes. Well, I, um, since I'm no longer involved with Brown Thomas's, I won't comment on that. Uh, but I mean, you know, I think their own retail standards and what they have added to Grafton Street speaks for itself and has done over the years in terms of reinvestment. But uh, I was just thinking there are two things. One was the comment made earlier. I mean, we're, we are as a nation, I mean, I say this about myself as well, we're whingers and moaners. So we tend to be thinking more about you know, the, the problems. I was just reflecting on the fact that when Boston redeveloped its city, they called it the Big Dig, and they got the citizens behind it, and they said, we're going to have five or six years of 
terrible traffic congestion. But boy, when it's finished, it'll be great. Now, of course, they were a year behind when they did finish it. But it was fantastic, and it transformed the city. It's I think just, they were also massively over budget in France. They may well have been, and that wouldn't be unusual either. But uh, the, point, the point I wanted to make was that you can be positive or negative about these things. Lewis will be a fantastic addition for Cross City. It will bring people into the city, and I can tell you retail will follow because it's where the footfall will be. Mm. So I, the, in that context, I'd be positive, not negative. Okay. I just want to bring in um, some of the audience, if I may. Derek Hughes, um, you were uh, formerly of uh, Hughes & Hughes. Um, you were the man behind that uh, brand. I think people will remember that. Fondly, unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, it didn't work out. Uh, I think it was taken over in large part, anyway, taken over by Eason's. But you've reinvented yourself now. I think as a as a retail consultant. So it'd be great to get your perspective on. Uh, I mean, let's just hear a little bit about uh, Hughes and Hughes. And and I guess you were uh, in the early days of the online challenge at that time. Um, but also your perspective on the future of retail. Thank you, Karen. Um, well, I, I think the future of retail, the, the panel have highlighted some key trends. And I mean, the key thing here is the customer. And um, actually, the next couple of days, I'm over in Copenhagen at a re international retail conference. So you get a real global perspective. So what's been discussed this evening is, is a global perspective. It's not just an Irish perspective. The you know issues like malls closing. There there were huge overdevelopment of shopping centres and poorly developed centres with lack of uh, transport in and out of them, public transport that is. So um, we had this overdevelopment. We now have contraction. Also, the customer, the consumer, is looking is a much more sophisticated beast animal. Um, they they want good service. They want a super range of product. They know their prices. Um, and if the retailer isn't able to deliver that experience, great merchandising, great visual merchandising, entertainment within the store, and, and the staff interaction is so critical. And if the retailer is not investing in retail training, in customer service, and using technology to connect with their customers, getting names and addresses, the panel talked about events, having events in store, bringing new products, as has been described earlier, will get your, your customers along and get that community feel. So retail is reinventing itself and the better retailers have taken some big strategic um, uh, changes to reposition their businesses. So competition is fierce. But overall, uh, the group that I work with, Ebeltoft, we, we no longer, we, you know, there's omni-channel, uh, and you talk about the different channels within retail. But we, we now call, re retail is, is, is uh, you can no longer split online, offline, uh, even click and collect. It's all one channel now. So retailers need to embrace the channels. Um, retail is not about customers just coming into your store anymore. It is having online presence. It is communicating. It is offering click and collect. It is that totality of experience, retail. Now, retail is a very exciting, hugely evolving um, business. Uh, it's a global business. Ireland suffers greatly on, on online because we don't have the scale and we're competing with global brands and global scale and economies of scale. Um, but we have some great innovation, we've some great retailers, and it's it's really providing, and, and what, what Lorcan was saying, um, and the work that's been done in, in towns that Lorraine was talking about, the, the, the totality of the experience in the town, the village, and the retailer, it, and, and you know, we need that 18-hour economy where we've restaurants, we've bars, and we embrace all of that. But things like, you know, places like Boston, places, you know, Lewis for Dublin, but it, it is the planning uh, and, and town centres, villages, and then the shopping centre experience has to also, you know, to, to go to a shopping centre, to have to queue and have to pay is putting an awful lot of people off as well. But it is about that one person, and that is that consumer, and satisfying those, those needs and demands. 
And Morris actually just taken up a point that Derek made there about Amazon. Uh, Amazon is actually going the other way. There's an online retailer has been a huge disruptor in the books and um, delivery uh, market. But actually, they're uh, getting into bricks and mortar now in the US. Well, they are. They bought Whole Foods for $13.5 billion uh, recently. And, uh, you know, it, the jury's out on that yet. Um, people were saying, well, if they bought that, um, who, who's going to buy Sainsbury or somebody like that in the UK in, in terms of following the same model? Uh, the view in the industry that I've heard is that they're trying to understand um, big box retail in that context and how you manage it and how you deal with the revolution that we're talking about here, which is food and where consumers are moving to and going. As Derek was talking there, it was just a couple of statistics coming into my head. Anybody in the audience give me a guess as to how much of a, a euro a week is spent or in any year is spent eating food out of the home? So for every dollar, every euro you spend, how much do you think of that euro is spent eating out of your home? Anybody got a guess? Anybody give me a guess? It's just close to 50% now, and I reckon in five years' time it'll be 60%. So if you go back to Derek's point, you know, uh, uh, and I want to make a, a related point mm. to it, um, the top 25 uh, major food manufacturers in the United States have lost $18.5 billion in sales since 2009. Okay? So I'm talking about General Foods, um, you know, all the big brand guys, uh, Mars and so on. And if you look at what those businesses are doing, Mars being an interesting example, they've now bought a pet food hospital because they're big in pet food. So they're seeing their challenge in their own market and they're trying to move out into areas where uh, you know, they can find new customers, dogs in this case, uh, and pets in general. Um, but the point I, I wanted to come back to is, if 60% of, 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 your, of your euro is being spent out of the home, where is the power in this equation? It's no longer with the retailer, it's with the consumer. So it goes back to the point Derek made, which is, if you look at Freshy, you look at, you look at uh, Chopped, you look at Bunsen as an example. I mean, here are brilliant, small, entrepreneurial Irish retailers giving consumers what they want. So can we do it? Yes, we can. Is that what consumers want? Yes. So, you know, I, that's why I'd be positive about it. You know, this retail constantly has mm. to reinvent itself. To your question, I don't know where, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting uh, to see what Amazon are doing, uh, are looking to do uh, with Whole Foods. Whole Foods became extremely expensive. So they're right at the top end and probably had topped out in terms of their growth capability. So uh, what I've heard so far in the, in, in the last eight weeks is that prices have already come down um, in Whole Foods. And you might say, well, that isn't that what you'd expect from Amazon? Uh, uh, but I mean, for Amazon, I'm sure, again, it's about how do we understand the model of the future? How do we get technology uh, to work in food in the same ways it's working for them in non-food? Yeah, sure. Uh, there is a workers' rights issue here, Lorraine, isn't there? Because uh, if you think of Amazon in particular, it's been in the spotlight for some of the work practices it imposes on its uh, workers. And a lot of your members um, probably have some of these uh, warehouse uh, facilities or are using, uh, you know, maybe on a contract basis, some warehouse facilities. And a lot of these warehouses that are fulfilling orders for online um, are involved in work practices that maybe, you know, we wouldn't be so comfortable with, you know, zero-hour contracts and... Uh, toilet breaks carefully monitored and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. S strict shift hours and you have to do so many uh, tasks in a, a certain uh, time frame, etc. Interesting question. And given my, my former role as a Labour Party senator, I suspect that's why it was directed at me. But anyway, um, I have to say about our membership, uh, we're all about retail excellence and we totally acknowledge and realise that for us to be retail excellent, um, it is all dependent on our staff. So it's so important to treat those staff so well. And to be fair, um, our retailers do. Uh, now, there are other retailers who have a bad name for not doing so. And unfortunately, that that kind of paints retail in a bad picture and in a bad light. But um, right now, at this moment in time, in fact, my, my boss is actually driving around the country visiting the top 30 stores in Ireland. Uh, and it's to see customer service uh, and how it's this being... This is the retail road trip. That's right, the retail road trip, which we were talking about online. Um, and it's a very, very important part of what a retailer does. So you have to treat your staff properly. Uh, and we have a very active HR group within Retail Excellence as well. And, you know, this is something that comes to the fore, retention and acquisition of staff. You know, if you're not going to treat yeah. them right, you're not going to have them there. And while we talk about the online piece being very important, human-to-human -human contact in store is absolutely critical. And Irish people expect that. Uh, of the people that they, they yeah. meet and employ. And Lorraine, having been in the last uh, Oireachtas as a, as a Labour Party senator, how alive um, were your colleagues 
in Leinster House to, you know, the challenges facing retailers and uh, the challenges of online, if you like? Well, um, first and foremost, I've retired from politics. <laughs> Secondly, I come from a retail background. Um, so my mother had a newsagent toy shop. My father had a petrol station. I was very alive to retail. I did say concerns. based on your experience uh, <laughs> in the last office. It, it was interesting while we were there because um, in the Shannon, in fact, there were 12 Labour Party senators and six of us had been self-employed or came from a self-employed background. So that's kind of the story that sometimes you don't hear. Um, and, you know, like retailers very often don't even earn the industrial wage down the country um, and that's something that all of us were mindful of so we try to improve the conditions of retailers you know be it from getting welfare payments which they weren't entitled to um, once upon a time and we would remove motions in that regard but I suppose I'm not really here to talk about my life in politics because that's a closed chapter but um, you know in retail excellence I tried to bring my experience of the Oireachtas and my knowledge of how it operates you know to retail excellence to the members and try and drive change within the industry. All right, I'd like to bring the audience in at this stage. Uh, hands up who'd like to ask a question. Don't be shy. Oh, here we go. Uh, just, you might just give us uh, your name. If there's any one of the panellists that you'd like to direct your question to, just let them know. Hi, Claude Bergen. Um, Lorraine, I know you touched already on what the government can do to secure the future of retail. And something that's obviously been debated a lot at the moment in the Dáil is the public health alcohol bill. What impact do you see that having on the future of retail in Ireland? I think it's um, it's certainly a challenge for retailers in terms of cost and, and trying to segregate alcohol. Um, I understand that there's a public health issue. Um, there's no simple solution to it, to be quite frank. Uh, and I know a lot of representative bodies who are you know solely focused on alcohol in particular uh, are lobbying quite hard on that issue um, and and trying to offset costs because again I'd mentioned at the outset of this podcast that you know we do have a lot of challenges in terms of Brexit sterling devaluation and increased competition right across the globe. Um, so trying to absorb further costs that are being imposed is, is very difficult. But again, I acknowledge as well that there is a public health matter that has to be uh, addressed. Okay, anybody else? You might just give us your name again, please. Hi, Julie Farrell. Um, uh, Lorraine, you were mentioning um, that, you know, SMEs feel really left behind by broadband in rural Ireland. And um, you're also talking about, uh, you know, how many SMEs don't really take advantage of e-commerce. And so I was kind of wondering about the flip side of that and the consumer, you know, like there's a general theme of I want what I want when I want it. Um, through all of this and when it comes to um, instant fulfillment like um, I was thinking about internet day with uh, IEDR they were talking about um, how drone fulfillment can be 30 minutes in some parts of London um, which I hadn't heard of Um, but um, you know I wouldn't expect to get that from ASOS but do you think that's a real possibility um, for small retailers in rural Ireland? I suppose when I think back when I was younger, when my parents were putting products on a shelf and that was enough to sell them, um, you couldn't imagine that I'd be sitting here as a as an older person talking about um, the digital age and the fact that, that Irish retailers can take advantage of the 602 billion that's been spent online in Europe. Um, retail is evolving at such a pace, you know, anything is possible at this moment in time. And it's just about, I suppose, business models that are forthcoming. And we can see even in terms of the great revolution in terms of how businesses operated with on post and the kind of broad products and services that you're bringing to yeah, the David, market. I wonder, uh, is on post looking at buying drones, a fleet of drones maybe? Yeah, I actually tried and um, they laughed at me. Uh, I thought I'd la- I really wanted a drone. Um, you don't, uh, the, the problem with drones is they can't carry a huge amount of weight at the moment. Um, and actually, it, we can deliver very quickly. And the whole point about local.ie is to be able to deliver very quickly, same day, or depending on whatever it is you're ordering, if it's, if it's, a, uh, if it's not food or anything, that deliver the next morning with your post. Or, um, so you know, certainly our intention is that every town or village in Ireland should be able to, every retailer in those places should be able to serve the local community same day. And that's what we want to do because that's where our future is. Our future isn't going to be so much in mail. Our future is going to be in delivering and working with retailers and certainly working with uh, Lorraine's members. And, and that's, that's very exciting if we can do that. And um, we've got to prove it with these tests, prove that, that we can manage it. The one other thing I would just add, um, uh, Kieran, is in relation to this issue of, of the whole issue of staff. And I think you're absolutely right to focus on uh, working conditions, all of that. I think Leo Varadkar 
has made a really smart move around saying let's let's not have zero hour contracts. You know, I've seen in the UK the degradation of employment. And I think it's very important we maintain good employment here, even if that means we pay slightly more for our goods, so be it, it's a price worth paying to maintain that employment. And, and it works because that personal service works, which is why, and it's a plug, you know, mm. Unpost is, is, is the most loved brand. It's why post offices are in the top three of, of best service. Um, because, not because they're fantastic stores, because you know, they're limited to different sizes, they can be in difficult locations, but simply because the quality of the people and the quality of that service. So it is a wonderful mixture of, of having those human qualities, but if we can do it with drones, then we'd love to as well. Yeah, right, okay. I should just ask you about the price of stamps as well, David, I, I suppose. Um, <laughs> because it went up uh, quite sharply now. What is it, a quid now? Uh, is it going to go up again next year? Yeah, well... well um, Irish Times business readers will realise we've changed to euros. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so it's um, it's a euro, and uh, and you know what? It's something that I will absolutely defend. Is is you know too often I've seen in Ireland. I've saw I've seen it in television. You know, television having a very tough time because the price of advertising is too low. Price of things can be driven down too much. A euro is not expensive if you post a letter at five o'clock here in Dublin and you want it to deliver to your aunt in Letterkenny tomorrow morning. A euro is good value, and people see it as good value, and certainly our volumes have held up very well with that. Yeah, okay. I think people still call it a quid, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Richard Guiney, I'd like to bring you in uh, at this point. Uh, you're the head of uh, Dublin Town, formerly uh, the bids districts, and you're helping um, retailers, I suppose, in, in a variety of ways in Dublin City Centre. Maybe you'd like to tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Yeah, uh, thanks, Karen. Um, very interesting conversation, but we're, we're finding that the, in Dublin City, the things are changing at a very, very rapid pace, um, and we've been monitoring that. We have a, a business plan now to bring us from 2018 to 2022. And it focuses on a lot of the issues that actually have been raised because what we're finding is that the primary retail streets um, have in have struggled in terms of footfall. So Henry Street and Grafton Street have, have declined in footfall over the past uh, number of years. But what we've actually found is that the, the, side, the side streets are booming uh, in terms of their footfall increases um, and quite often double-digit uh, double digit figures. And when we're doing consumer research, um, we're finding that people want, as Morris said, they want independent stores, uh, they want bars and they want restaurants, and are primarily restaurants, cafes and, and, uh, and bars. So the actual consumer in interaction has changed quite fundamentally, and we've done quite a number of interesting graphs where, we, where you can actually see that the growth in footfall is happening post five o'clock. Um, and I think retailers, we've, we've, uh, we've done some consumer research as well. So the peak of online uh, retail happens between 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock in the evening. Um, and it's conducted on mobile devices. So you don't have to be Einstein to figure out that this is a lot of uh, commuters going home and public transport are actually taking out their phones and are buying things. So uh, we have a situation where a lot of uh, traditional retailers pull down their shutters while their customers are very busy. So we engaged with the people who are working in Dublin 1 and 2, so people are actually in the city centre, and asked them would they, would they shop if uh, the shop stayed open, and they said yes, they would, to 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the evening. Um, but they'd also want to go to a, a cafe or a restaurant as part of that trip. So you're going to see, as Morris said, you're going to see the, the, we are seeing a great interaction of, um, of the, the hospitality side and retail. And I think, uh, you know, as Morris said, I, I didn't know that statistic, but, you know, we're spending about 50% of our, our cash uh, on food. And we're seeing that, like, so in terms of why people come to the city centre, 80% of people co still come to, to shop, but 50% come to go to, to, go to a restaurant. Um, which is twice as many as go to, to, to have a pint. Um, so we're, we're, we're definitely seeing that, that fundamental change. And we have a project for Dublin One, the area that we're in, about basically reviving this part of the city. Um, and it is about improving the access to the secondary streets because people want the, 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 that independent store offer. They want the food, they want the cafes. But that will encourage them then to shop in, in the big box retail. Uh, so there's a, a large part of our strategy for this part of the city is actually about encouraging that kind of footfall because they once they're here, they will spend. Um, and we, we are definitely, it was said as well about um, rural towns, 
Rotherham in Yorkshire was the poster boy for that of the high street. And every time you opened up the Guardian newspaper and they wanted to talk about the decline of the high street, there was Rotherham. Um, so what they did, and actually the, the council in Rotherham have to take a, a, a large degree of credit, they said, there's no point... Their, their Marks and Spencers pulled out and they said, okay, you know, um, there's no point in trying to be something that we're not. So what they did was they, they basically have a, a rates holiday and gave grants for businesses, independent businesses, to open up independent stores. So a very interesting confectionery stores, antiques, art, uh, restaurants again, cafes. But their footfall increased very significantly and they started getting investment and they started getting the footfall back into Rotherham and people weren't going to Leeds or the out-of-town shopping centres, they were going to Rotherham because it was an experience and you could buy things there that you couldn't buy anywhere else uh, and you had that interaction and the family-owned stores and uh, and as, as Lorraine was saying, that human interaction that people, you can't get that online. Um, and that that has been, a, it's now a poster buy for, for, for regeneration. So I think, you know, we're going to have to think very differently about uh, uh, locations where retail is is, is housed, uh, but that's not to say that uh, you know we're at the end of retail because people always will want to buy things. But how retailers adapt to the changing environment, I think, is going to be critically important. And people who are ignoring the fact that there will be twenty percent or twenty five percent of uh, non food retail conducted online uh, probably won't survive. But those who, who change their, their, their model or adapt their model um, and, you know, towns and cities that fundamentally understand consumer behaviour and uh, change the, the way their, their towns interact with people are those that I think do have a bright future. Sure, Richard, thank you for that. Uh, do we have any other questions from the floor? Hands up who, uh, who would actually go shopping of an evening at uh, between 8 or 9 o'clock if all the stores were to be open? Okay, yeah, I think that's probably a majority of people. Lorcan, I presume one of the issues around uh, late night opening is uh, labour costs, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a huge amount of pressures on all retailers, and I suppose, if they echo, I suppose, Lorraine's point earlier on, um, the VAT rate is, is, is one of the biggest ones. Kind of, I know REI are campaigning to bring the VAT rate from 23 down to 20. Uh, we obviously are competing with online and obviously in, with, with Northern Ireland now. Obviously, with Sterling the way it is, like there's going to be a huge amount of traffic this way growing across the border. So um, I wouldn't accept that the labour costs are probably the, the highest issue. I think there's a lot more other issues which are, in particular this Christmas, I think we're going to be really hammered with, with cross-border shopping. And things like, and we accept alcohol needs to be sold responsibly. But again, if we have different rules here to Northern Ireland, people are just going to go over the border, buy their cheaper booze or whatever. People don't, you know, care about things like that. They, you know, they'll go where the product is cheaper, you know. Thanks, Lorcan. And actually, the CSO has given us a, a small window into the impact of uh, Brexit on uh, retail here uh, in terms of cross-border shopping. They're saying that something like €300 million Euro in taxes has been lost as a result of uh, cross-border shopping post-Brexit. So we'll see how that uh, continues. Uh, before we conclude, I just want to give one final task to our panellists. I want you all to look forward 10 years and predict the future of retail. Morris, we'll start with you. <laughs> Well, I think I've uh, I already got to 2025 um, in my comment about uh, what the amount of uh, spend that would be out of out of retail. Um, so, I mean, the future is all about what millennials and centennials will 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 want to do. It's different to what my generation wanted to do. Um, so, you know, looking looking to the future, it's about fast, furious maybe as well, but it's about fast. It's about now. It's about value, and it's about experiential, and it's about high-tech and high-touch. Lorraine Higgins. That's so well summed up, Morris, I must say. Um, and I'm going to steal some of his ideas because they're exactly what I'm thinking of as well. It's going to be about experience predominantly. Um, I believe that up to 30% of a retailer's business will be done online. I think click and collect based on the recent statistics that we have in retail excellence, that that's going to be a major growth area in terms of people wanting the online convenience experience and then the human-to-human -human contact in store. And the fact that uh, all retailers are going to have to embrace technology and the digital world in its totality and create that experience in store. Okay, thanks Lorraine. Lorcan O'Connor. Um, I, I think as, as Richard kind of said, I think we're going to start seeing more specialised shops, so 
people are going to start selling, you know, retailers adapt, you know, they, we've, every retailer adapts and they have to adapt. So I think people are going to start specialising in stuff that isn't easy to buy online, that's harder to buy now, people don't want to buy online. There's still a huge amount uh, at the moment of people researching online, but they still want to go into the shop, they want to touch it, feel it and steal it or whatever. So that, that thing is, that is still there kind of thing. People still want to actually go into a shop and actually see it. And, you know, I can see even within my own home, the frustration of, you know, when you buy something online, you get it and it's not exactly what you thought it was. And yeah, it's great to say it's easy, we'll send it back for free, but you still have to go package it, repackage it, go to the post office or go to the spar, wherever you are. So it's not that simple. And I think people are starting to maybe get a little bit weary of that. Well, hopefully there isn't too much theft in Carl's uh, gift shops. Uh, David McGrevin, we'll leave the final word to you. Uh, think out uh, 10 years. I don't know if you're still going to be with On Post in 10 years' time, <laughs> but uh, perhaps you can, uh, you can give us your view on what the market will look like. I, you know, I, uh, slightly bold prediction. I, I think that retailing may have, you know, if I go back to that issue of, of book retailing, how it's coming back, I think retailing may be making a strong comeback in 10 years' time after people have had the novelty of, of online and the experience of online will be excellent. It will become a hygiene factor, delivery, making sure things are there quickly, all of that. And that will, that will account for 70% of probably what people are buying, perhaps a bit less, somewhere between 50 to 70%. The other 30% could be really interesting. It will be experiential, as everybody has said. I think it's going to be community-based. Um, I'm struck by what Morris has said around farmers' markets. There's something around being able to go and do something and enjoy yourself with your friends, with your family, uh, in an environment where you bump into people you know. And that's what great retailing is about. And I, I think that's, that's a human need that has to be served. That's what retailing serves, serves human need. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Deb McRedmond, Morris Pratt, Lorraine Higgins and Lorcan O'Connor. I'd also like to thank our studio audience and I'd like to thank On Post once again for hosting us here in the historic GPO. Declan Conlon produced the show with Rob O'Sullivan as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Thank you. Thank you.